world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Today we have a remarkable discussion and guest, Richard Hanania, The Origins of Woke. Here's the book, The Origins of Woke. Go and buy it. It's an important book. Put it on your coffee table so people learn something. Corporate America and the Triumph of Identity Politics. That sounds very sad. Mr. Hanania is a research fellow at the University of Texas, president and founder of the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. Well, that fits. Previously a research fellow at the Saltzman Institute of War and Peace Studies at Columbia University. He's the author of Public Choice Theory and the Illusion of Grand Strategy. Hmm. Hanania earned his Ph.D. in poli-sci from UCLA and is a graduate of the University of Chicago Law School. Very impressive, Richard. Very impressive indeed. And the subject of woke, you know, the word woke has been used so much, it's lost its meaning. Mm. We used to call it politically correct, and we would go PC. Remember those days? Of course. Then it became woke. Where did the word woke originate from? I originally heard it came out of the African-American community, and correct me if I'm mistaken, you're the scholar on this, where the um, black folks, when a white person would come like into town, one guy would say to the other, just be woke to what he's doing or something like that. What is the origin of the word woke? Uh, yeah, the way I've heard of the etymology of it is basically that in the uh, uh, 2000, early 2010s, that uh, sort of black activists and black liberals used it as a way to sort of, you know, unironically, they would say, woke. someone is like awakened, they can see, you know, the social, all the social injustice and all the racism in American society. Uh, eventually, I think conservatives sort of culturally appropriated to use their uh, lingo. And now it's sort of used uh, derisively um, just to mean what, you know, political correctness once meant, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, in the book, you know, I define it because you always have to define your terms and they think, you know, they can, the left thinks they can get you if they say, you know, what is woke and you don't have an exact definition on the ready. Um, so basically the way I characterize it is it's the idea that disparities are caused by discrimination, um, that uh, you need to suppress free speech in the interest of overcoming uh, these disparities, and that basically you need a bureaucracy in order to manage everyone's lives, in order to overcome disparities, in, a, in order to uh, uh, regulate speech. So I try to explain where these things came from and sort of what to do about it in the book. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898 
1.98. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989898. Doctor, let me ask you, you're right that the, the state has, since the 1960s, constructed constructed a regime of governance based on race and sex. Boy, is that ever true. Mm-hmm. Constructed. How do we deconstruct this? You know, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the way, the same way they constructed it. I mean, so the uh, the idea, for example, that um, you know, every corporate America, every uh, every um, every uh, corporate, you know, big corporation in America has an affirmative action program. People wonder where that came from. That came from the federal government. That came from an executive order that in the Johnson administration. Oh, Johnson, the Great Society. The, yeah, the great the Great Society, and then you know, Nixon did more on top of it. And you know, there was there's a lot of us, uh, or there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of blame to go around here. Um, and, you know, one thing you could do is just rework these executive orders to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to either, um, you know, probably you, know, you could do the exact opposite. You could say you have to treat people equally if you want government contracts. That would actually be more consistent with the original uh, spirit of the civil equally, rights. Equally, of course, that's what it meant. There shall be no discrimination. It doesn't mean now discriminate against the qualified to make sure the unqualified uh, get what they don't deserve. I mean, I, I was a victim. Thank God I overcame it of affirmative action. It, it literally almost killed me because, oh, yeah? well, I was an immigrant son. I had a dream of being a professor. So everyone said, get your union card, which is a PhD. Once you get the union card, you, you'll have, you know, a tenured position and you could do your, your ethnobotanical research. And I thought that was a great idea. So I worked hard, got a first rate PhD at UC Berkeley. My dissertation was published as a book. What could be better? Unfortunately, uh, my ethnicity did not qualify as a minority. Yeah. You know, people think that Jews benefit from affirmative action, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, Jewish people are not part of the affirmative action. uh, uh, Yeah. And how they and they how they came up with who counts and who doesn't. There's an entire chapter of this on uh, in the book, and it's it's really you know it's really fascinating. Um, well, Japanese don't qualify either. They're too no. they're, they're too. You know, I, I I must tell you this, Richard. So I go to a little hole in the wall Japanese restaurant. This guy is skinny as a rail. He's an older man. I love him. He's just so full of energy. Hi, Mike. Where are you today? You know that kind of guy, like almost a, a, a caricature. But you know, he looks like a caricature, and he has three daughters. This humble Japanese guy went a little hole in the wall Japanese restaurant works 16 hours a day. One went to Columbia Medical School. The other went to Stanford Medical School. The third one is each of his children, each of his daughters has achieved through their grit and their brains. He didn't need affirmative action. Firstly, he wasn't qualified. They were not qualified. Right. Japanese need not apply. Right. Yeah. No, opposite. I mean, they they get they get hurt in college admissions. I mean, it's even worse for them than it is for for white kids. 
Um, it is yeah, Asian. Asians are completely shunned, right? Oh, they're completely shunned. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of studies on the Ivy League schools that came out in the lawsuits. I mean, the the, the the you know the decline you get in your SAT the SAT score you have to have to be an Asian versus a white person is actually higher. Now, Asians do because of a weird quirk of history. They do sometimes get small uh, small business loans, so they are considered minorities who are advantaged uh, over whites in like government contracts and things like that. But then college admissions and then hiring because they're overrepresented. You know, it's just there's no logic to this stuff it's just really overrepresented i you know i have a phrase richard is a good one i wrote this in 1982 when i was suffering from the anger of this it was um without quality there can be no equality that was my orwellian response to all of this without quality there can be no equality i mean that to me summarizes this whole deal and, and of course, it all comes down to me when people don't know what they're talking about, saying, well, you want to be fair. You want to give the under the underdog a, a fair chance. Sure. Uh, OK, you're getting on, a, on an airplane. To fly uh, at a commercial airport and you look into the pot, into the pilot's compartment and just stepping in the plane. Do you want a blind person flying the plane? Or do you want a former Air Force pilot in the in the cockpit who might be able to handle an emergency yeah. while you're at? 35,000 feet. Yeah. Do, do people even compute what this is doing to this country? They don't, do they? Well, it's funny you bring up the example of the blind man because there's a lot in civil rights law about alcoholism and whether you could actually fire someone for being an alcoholic or it's, you know, a violation of the Americans with disabilities. <laughs> so there's a lot, you know, that 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 sort of, you know, you mean you can't a, fire a drunk? Well, it's very controversial. Like you have to, you know, there's all these steps you have to do and you have to, you know, do this and that. Yeah. There's been like, you know, federal court cases uh, on this. So, yeah, you've always, you know, that, 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 that uh, sort of, it's a funny, uh, it's like a, you know, it's a funny hypothetical, but it's actually been closer to reality um, than you might think. Well, you write in your book about affirmative action for contractors. We've all known, I've known for at least 30 years that contractors often will hire um, a minority, quote unquote, as a front person to qualify for minority contracts. Is that still true or worse than ever? Oh, absolutely. And there's been investigations, I mean, of people who just claim to be something that they're not. They'll claim to be Native American or something. Oh, you Uh, mean Elizabeth Warren? Elizabeth Warren is, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, who benefited from affirmative action while in academia Um, or guys, you know, there's contracts for women, too. So guys will just put the contract in their wife's name. It's then uh, it's then a female owned business and they get the advantages, too. I mean, it's it's just endemic to the entire system. You know, you use an old phrase, social engineering. That's what we used to use 20, 30 years ago in radio. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's social engineering. Everyone's forgotten that that's what wokeness has become, right? Yeah, you guys were, I mean, you guys were uh, onto, onto something, um, especially in like the university setting. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all civil rights law. So that when they come in and they say, oh, you need affirmative consent, you know, if a woman has regret after sex, you know, we're going to have a tribunal uh, for the man and potentially kick him out of school. Right. Um, Title IX in sports is, you know, is, is similar. It's like, you know, if women, if women are not as interested in sports as men, it becomes federal courts say this, the obligation of the universities to make men and women more psychologically uh, similar. So, so really, I mean, this stuff goes very, very deep, not just like putting an unqualified person in a position where they shouldn't be in. It's like the way the citizen thinks is wrong and needs to be corrected to be less racist. Oh, the thinking is wrong. Exactly. We, we have to correct our thinking. Exactly. In other words, qualifications don't matter. That's a form of discrimination. If you think that someone's more qualified than the other, that's, a, of course, unless you're watching basketball. 
<laughs> yes. Or, yeah, so the, or, a no. Uf, or a UFC fight. I don't think that they worry about wokeness yeah. when they're grounding and pounding the yeah, opponent. No affirmative action in the slam dunk contest. You're right. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why, not? <laughs> why, why don't we insist that we put a five foot two, uh, let us say, rabbi on a court with six foot five basketball players and when he can't keep up or they, they dunk him by pushing him down there and they're thrown off the court. And then and, he, and then get the rabbi a chairlift to, to put the ball in the into the into the hoop. <laughs> yeah, you could. No, you no, could you, I mean, I, I believe in reducto ad, ad absurdum sometimes in terms of using logic to make points because otherwise people don't get it. They they can't get it unless you go to reducto ad absurdum. Well, they don't do it in sports because you you know everyone can watch sports. You know, there's a saying that like everyone is conservative about what they know best. So we can all watch wow. sports and we can all see who can make the shot. We can all see who's a good kicker. We can all see who's a good running back. So imagine they required racial balance. Um, people would see. Wait, look, the you know the the uh, Asian kickers are not doing so well because there was affirmative action for Asians, right? I think sports is like you know such a true meritocracy because everyone can see what's going on out in the open and we have open measurements and because. Because, you know, blacks do very well and that people don't worry about representation as much. Um, so it's just, yeah, yeah, like sort of a uh, I think that's why Americans love sports. It's just a sort of a refuge of pure merit and like a world where everything else is, you know, shaped by this politics and affirmative action. Savage, the Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand. I'm reading your, your introduction. It says I had gone to law school and spent the summer interning at the Center for Individual Rights, mm-hmm. a public interest firm that fought against overreaches in civil rights law. When I saw, you write, the rise of what most educated people call wokeness, it seemed to be only the long overdue cultural manifestation of assumptions and beliefs that have in many instances been deeply embedded in American law for over half a century. You mean the law itself had been twisted first? Is that what you're saying, Richard? Yes, yes. I think this is something very important that people, uh, you know, that people don't really understand. That they sort of get the uh, the causation or the order of things backwards. Um, they think sort of the culture came, and then the you know because of this wokeness, these you know left wing crazies, the moment ah. changed. That's that's true to a certain extent, uh, but there's also a sense in which the crazy ideas were in the law in like 1970s and didn't become part of the culture until decades later. So like one example, like the idea that standardized tests are racist if one group doesn't do as well as another. People like really didn't start thinking too much about that uh, until like five, 10 years ago. Um, But there's a 1971. You mean when when they found out that white males generally do much better on standardized tests because they have a more logical uh, capacity? Well, I mean, whites do better than some groups and then worse than Asians um, in standardized tests. And so in 1971, there was a Supreme Court case. Which race, by the way, does the best on standardized tests? Um, it depends on, I think, how you classify uh, races. There are, you know, a, a, the, of the major American races, like yes. the way the census does it, Asians do do better than whites on it. Why do Asians more. do so well on such Logic. Is it logic? Logic and reason, mathematical skills? Yeah, they're better. You know, they're better at mathematics. I think that them and whites are about equal on the verbal stuff. And then on the mathematical skills, yeah, they're there. Uh, they tend to be better. You know, some people stress culture. Some people uh, stress. Uh, Isn't math stuff. racist, though, Richard? 
Haven't we now heard that math itself is an invention of the of the uh, uh, the Greeks? Or some, I'm sorry, yeah. the, the Arabs. <laughs> well, if it's the invention of the Arabs, that might be, you know, that might, might be some hope Whoa, for it. Well, didn't the Arabs give us the zero? They gave us the zero, right? Yeah, algebra. Yeah, algebra is an Arabic word. So therefore, therefore, the Arabs were, were thinking way ahead to create racism thousands of years later. Well, they were pretty, I mean, they did have a pretty brutal slave trade. So, I mean, there was there was racism in the Middle East unquestionably. So it's not, it's not that crazy, actually, when you think about it. You know, in your book, Woke, the title is The Origins of Woke, which is great. I'm always interested in origins. You go back to Bush in the Civil Rights Act of 1991, and you said that for, this is Bush one. And you said Bush justified signing the Civil Rights Act of 1991 after vetoing its predecessor by declaring, quote, this is not a quota bill. Yeah, well, it certainly was, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they basically the Democrats came back. The Democrats did well in the 1990 midterms. They came back. They were stronger position in Congress and the Republicans just folded. Um, They basically, you know, Bush still said this is not a quota bill in 1991, but it really was a quota bill. It did all kinds of crazy things like add punitive uh, damages um, for violations. You know, you see the number of lawsuits uh, for sexual harassment and other thing go through the roof in the 1990s. Uh, yeah, the civil right, you know, people, if people like the sort of historical minutiae, there's a lot of that in the book. And I tell, I do tell the, as you indicate, the story of the Civil Rights Act of 91. I have to read this paragraph because these are names people recognize. You write this in the origins of woke. Newt Gingrich, Upon where is he today? Where is Newt Gingrich? By I the see way? him. I see him on TV every now and then. Isn't he still a TV? Uh, Newt Gingrich, upon becoming Speaker of the House, lent his support to the ultimately successful effort to end racial preferences in California. And in early 1996, promised a conservative audience that he would quote pursue an all-out effort to end affirmative racism in America. Unquote. Yet congressional Republicans, here we go again, came to defer to the only two black members of their caucus on the issue. So there were, there already was the Rhino Brigade at work, caving in and catering to the minority. You know, you, you, you're, you went into great detail in your book and you've studied this. This is a big part of your, your psyche. I could see that. You know much more about it than most people. Can this end? Will this ever end? Can it end? Is it turning around? You know, I think that my book gives people can give people hope because you see you can see how different it was a few decades ago. So one of the stories, you know, you probably saw in the book is that, you know, Columbia University in 1971, the federal government goes to them and it says, um, you know, tell us, you know, tell us if you've been discriminating. We want data on the race and the sex of your hires. And the president of Columbia University, 71, goes, that's crazy. We're a university. I mean, we don't even collect that data. Like, that's like unthinkable. Wow. We have to. We'd have to what year was this kind of institution? This was 71. And this was an 71. Yeah, yeah, an ancient yeah. ancient time, 50 years ago. Exactly. But, you know, and the, and the Columbia University president writes an open letter, says, unfortunately, we're going to have to change what we are as an institution, thanks to what the federal government said we should do. Now, can you imagine an Ivy League school, the 50 year uh, shift from a president of Columbia saying that to what kind of people are running the Ivy League today? So that shows you, you could have a radical amount of change you know in this in the span of a few decades um but it followed well, the, the ivy league schools have become like inner city high schools they've become absolutely i mean they've become absolutely crazy places right i went to queen's college when i was a kid you know i'm a young youngster i graduated God, i think in 1963 was a long time ago and and queen's college was a city university in new york i was a kid from a rather um humble family 
fine. I mean, that's where I went. We couldn't afford to send me. They couldn't afford to send me to a, quote, private school. So I wasn't that good on testing. So I went to Queens College. It was extremely competitive, very competitive. The curriculum was based on the University of Chicago 100 books curriculum. It was really a first-rate curriculum, very difficult. Well, after I graduated years later, I heard that they instituted open admissions at Queens College, and it became a disaster. The the school melted down in the 70s. And then eventually, I don't know when, they started to get rid of the open admissions at Queens College because the standards had become so low, the school had deteriorated so far that they woke up to their wokeness. Do you think this is happening at all on a national level anywhere? I don't. Do I have any hope on? This? So I saw a nice, you know, I saw a uh, optimistic headline this morning that uh, Ibram Kendi, um, his anti-racism center at Boston University, is laying is having major layoffs in staff. Uh, so Who they is? set it up in twenty. Ibram Kendi, do you know this guy? He's uh, no, the only Kendi I knew. I thought she's on the Supreme Court. I thought, <laughs> yes. Well, there's a very famous Kendi who's like the you know the sort of king of anti-racism. Uh, his center is basically is not doing so well. Um, yeah, I think that you know why? why? Where, where, where'd their money go? Biden cut yeah, off money to Colombia. I mean, I think it's just becoming um, it's just becoming sort of you know I think a lot of uh, a lot of um, corporations are realizing they don't need this this stuff anymore. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Okay, Dr. Hanania, let's continue with our interview about your great book, The Origins of Woke. Uh, When and how did Pakistanis, Samoans, and Koreans all become the same race? Well, it became, uh, you know, this uh, AAPI category, Asian American Pacific Island. Ah. It was, it was, um, it, you know, it was invented because of the Hawaiian delegation. We're returning now again with uh, Professor Richard Hanania, the origins no, not, of not, not a prof- not a professor, a professor of reality to me. <laughs> the book is amazing. Who published this book? Uh, it was HarperCollins, Broadside Books. Oh, I, I was published by them years ago with Trickle Up Poverty and Trickle Down Tyranny. They're a great publisher. By the way, how did you get published? Because they um, become woke. They just, uh, you know, they found me. They they found my writings online on this topic. Um, the guy reached out. I think they have sort of a conservative uh, wing of the corporation. And yeah, they they came to me and asked if I wanted to write something. I think that's beautiful. That's, that's amazing. I, I, I had given up hope in the publishing world. So um, how did ideas that seem so intellectually bankrupt achieve hegemony over elite culture? How did this happen? Well, I mean, it came basically because the law forced people to believe certain things. And I think people like, you know, I think people are inherently uncomfortable with this stuff. People are inherently uncomfortable with the idea that some groups might be more competent than others that, you know, you have. And so I think there was a lot of like people just not wanting to be a bad person and to push back against this stuff. Mm. Um, and so when the law comes around and says, look, we're not going to, you know, it's almost easier if the if the quota system was more explicit, if they just came and said, OK, fewer white men, you know, more more blacks that's not you know exactly what the government does the government says well this test you know it has a disparate impact are you sure it's not you know it doesn't have some bias there are you sure you're really getting the best people are you sure you're not recording you know are you sure you're uh not you know you're sure you're recruiting everybody you might be recruiting and you know they, they it's so like 
intellectually empty. I mean, when people have to debate things in the open, they all they always say, you know, merit is important. I don't think anyone ex- or very few people explicitly say merit doesn't matter. Um, but the, it, it pretends to be consistent with merit to have affirmative action in this, you know, the disparate impact standard. Uh, but it just doesn't work. I mean, we we all know that in our you know day to day lives. Even those inclined to liberally throw around the, the epithets racist and sexist against their political opponents always have more tempting targets than those who speak in the boring language of court decisions in the Code of Federal Regulations, you write. So you say the book argues against our tendency to mistake salience for importance. What does that mean? So a lot of these laws and the regulations um, that had a big impact weren't things that people were paying much attention to. It's not even that they were rhinos. It's in many cases, they didn't even know what was going on. Like Nixon, the Nixon administration really expanded affirmative action. It was um, Nixon. Most, Nixon. Yeah. Here we and go. Most of the evidence is that Nixon didn't know what was going on for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, he knew a few, he knew a few things, but like it, they really took the uh, Department of Labor really took it further um, than what he wanted. Um, and, you know, because there was no conservative media at the time, you know, there was no, nobody was really paying much attention to this stuff. Um, so I'm like sort of doing a little bit of excavation here and saying, here are the court cases. Here's the boring minutia. You know, I hope people like, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, federal uh, uh, federal clerks for judges and like congressional staff like read this because there's a lot they can do that's going to sort of fly under the radar, which is the way we got all this stuff in the first place. Well, I you know, because I was singed by or burned by affirmative action after working so hard to become a professor and er- earning it and then thrown out or not hired because I was not the right race, sex or whatever. I'm very adamant on it. So I'll tell you what I tweeted today. You might get a kick out of this other than Admiral Kirby and Levine. Earlier this day, I put up a picture of the uh, so-called press secretary. And I said, would Pierre get away with this if she were not black and a lesbian? Now, <laughs> now you know how the Biden syndicate uses her. Now I, I figured I'd be thrown off Twitter and Facebook for that. This is an hour ago. Thus far, no, not thrown off yet. Well, th- well, well there's new management in Twitter. Yeah, were you a big fan of a uh, uh, Jen Psaki before her? I thought she, <laughs> I thought she was, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, easier to look at and uh, probably more competent too. Yeah, but she was a liar. She was just an absolute skilled liar. Is a press secretary's job to lie for the president? Have they, is that what they've always it. done? I, I don't know always, but it seems, yeah, it seems pretty common now. I mean, yeah. isn't their job to to meet the press? And kind of express answers for the president who's too busy managing affairs of state to deal with the press so regularly, which is supposed to be regularly, and kind of answer the questions as best they can without lying or fudging or twisting. That's what I, you know, I go back to the JFK era, for example, when I sort of became politically aware. So who did we have? We had a press secretary. Who was that guy? He was great. Uh, you remember those days? <laughs> a little before my <laughs> Kennedy had... Anyway, we had press secretaries who were very uh, glib and smooth, but they were not embarrassing in their evasiveness. They didn't embarrass the office of the presidency and the United States itself with such third grade level lies like this Pierre. So they bring in Kirby yesterday or the day before because Pierre's failing. To, sh- to to bamboozle the press corps where they were starting to act up and say things to her. So they bring in Admiral Kirby. I'd rather they bring in Colonel Sanders with a bucket of chicken. Is there a way to save America from this madness that you write about in your book, The Origins of Woke Richard? I, 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think people, yeah, I think people should, you know, read this book. I think people should, you know, give it to people in positions of power and influence. Um, there's a role for, you know, people like you in conservative media, Dr. Savage, to uh, bring, keep these issues at the forefront, you know, pay attention to what the law is, what the Supreme Court is doing. And yeah, you know, I think there's a connection between the law and culture. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. You get, you know, you change all the laws tomorrow, you know, the country's still gone a little bit, you know, a little bit crazy, especially our elite institutions. But just like it took, you know, 30, 40 years to go from, you know, wokeness is law to like a culture that was completely insane, it would probably take changing the laws and then another 20, 30 years at least um, of that change working its way through the culture. Uh, but I, I think we can get there and we can start working on it now. You mean, let's say they change the law now to actual equality. Yeah. It's going to take 30 years for it to correct the ship of state. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people with, you know, jobs that depend on this. There's a lot of, you know, young people with crazy ideas. They've, you know, they've uh, gone from colleges. So, yeah, I mean, things don't change overnight, but they do change. I mean, you know, they. Uh, you well, know, yeah, but your know. book says the origins of woke civil rights law, corporate America and the triumph, the triumph of identity politics. They won. They've won this battle, haven't they? They, they won. It doesn't mean it's a permanent victory. But yeah, for now, I think they did. So we have to have what we had in San Francisco, where we had a police chief who couldn't pass the um, pistol test. She couldn't fire her gun straight. We had a fire chief in San Francisco, um, a lesbian woman. I guess you have to say lesbian, a woman. Yeah, a lesbian female by birth who could not lift the fire hose during a fire. She was made fire chief. Yeah. Yeah. Which, no. by the way, which is not saying that anyone who's gay is is incompetent. Yeah. When I when I was uh, still doing talk shows in San Francisco, I needed a bodyguard and my bodyguard happened to be a gay woman who could beat the hell out of any three men I ever met. She was about six foot two and she was half uh, German and half Japanese. She was as tough as nails and she loved me. And I really got along well with her. In fact, I have to tell the story, Richard. You'll love it. I was doing a film for a then MSNBC TV show, which I had for three months. And we're filming in the streets at night in San Francisco in my old Cadillac convertible, which I no longer have. Driving through the city. It was a beautiful night. And a police car comes up and starts the sirens. I said, oh, God, no. And out comes this big lady, tall, good looking woman. I said, what am I, I said, what did I do wrong? She said, nothing, Dr. Savage. She said, I love you on the radio. So she she and I became friends, you know, which is not to say that everyone who is a lesbian or gay believes in this stuff. Isn't that true? That in your, yeah. in your research? Well, I mean, I think for I think for cops and firemen, probably lesbians are probably, you know, better than straight women on the obviously. I, <laughs> I don't think lesbians are the are the problem. You're right. It's it's just about holding the same standards for everyone. And wow, that's an incredible story. A six two, you know, offspring of German. Or she Japanese. was she was a tough lady or Man, Michael Savage fan. That's that's amazing. That sounds it's like an, it's a long lost woman. story of the Savage Nation. We should make it a big deal in this in this uh, little you still, is she still around? Do you still know her? I haven't kept in touch because I I haven't been on the radio for so long. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. I want to read what you wrote um, on the Origins of Woke, page 136. Occasionally, those making and interpreting civil rights law have made their intentions explicit. And you write, as the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals wrote in 1988, what did they write in the summary? Uh, well, basically, they, they you know they said that the point of civil rights law is not to um, is not to uh, 
you know, it's not to purge, you know, I think it's something along the lines of it's not just to, um, you know, change the corporate culture, but hopefully change society. So the bigots, you know, they lose their jobs because they said the racist thing. Um, they, you know, they, but also like hopefully people will become less bigoted, bigoted by, you know, their liberal ju judicial uh, definition. Um, and then, you know, no differences between men and women. You're supposed to think this stuff. You can't just, you're not just, it's not just about the workplace. That's, that's the thing. But Richard, ever since the Obamas became board members of Netflix, most of the American-made uh, um, programs are almost unwatchable. Every program must have a superior uh, person of color yeah. lecturing the dumb white male. In, in every show, the boss yeah. is always in the background. Here he comes, the great savior of the world. Or in every show, there is a character who is uh, gay. Which is fine. I mean, I, again, I'm a sexual libertarian. If it's part of the story, fine. But if you put it in because it has to be in there, it's no longer a piece of art. It's a piece of propaganda. So I tend to watch, if I can find them, Spanish language shows. They're less woke. Or, you know, Argentinian dramas, less woke. Yeah. We have become, yeah. I mean, I've been fascinated lately with one called Burn Body, which is from uh, Spain. Just as I'm not putting a plug in for anything, but, you know, it's a police drama set in Spain that has zero woke in it. Mm. Uh, but the minute I see a woke character appear that doesn't fit, like they dropped like the puppet into the pro, you could almost feel that the, the, the script was written, the, the film was ready to go. And then they were sent to the Obama team and they said, well, put in a gay character, put in a gay, lesbian or put in a black character. And they write them in and you could feel the puppet being dropped into the into the script. Very much like the puppets that dropped into the corporations and the universities today. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of young men are getting into, you know, anime, Japanese cartoons, because if you watch cartoons now, they make all the female characters, you know, made in America, they make all the uh, female characters grotesque. Right. They're just uh, they're just as ugly as possible because it's sexist to have like a good looking woman in a cartoon. Right. And what? so the, Jap the Japanese cartoons, I mean, kids, you know, young men are really, really into the Japanese cartoons because, you know, they at least make the characters uh, beautiful, you know, background scenery. It's not a big thing I'm into, but it's, you know, no, no, I love it. I, I like hearing I'm into art and and, and vid visual. I'm a, I'm a video um, uh, addict. I've always been a movie addict. So I watch a lot of movies at night. I tend to watch TCM, by the way, because if they're set in the 50s and it's Broderick Crawford or some of the other characters, I know exactly how it's going to go. I know who the heroes are yeah. and they don't inject a character that doesn't fit. Yeah. People would say, well, they're all segregated. There were no blacks there other than in a subservient role. That is true. But that's the way society was uh, at the time. I'm not saying that's the way society should be. There are certainly superior uh, individuals of any race that we all know. There's no question about that. And, and people are not limited by their race with regard to intellectuality. We all know that. And that's not what you're arguing. You're not arguing that Archie Bunker should take over America in your book, okay. are you? No, I, no. I mean, I like I like the idea that people can you know go as far as their intellect and work ethic could take that. We've just gotten, unfortunately, very far away from that. Well, Richard, tell us about your background for one minute. I mean, you, you you're born here in America. Yes, I was born uh, uh, right outside Chicago. May I ask what your ethnicity is, family-wise? Uh, sure. Yeah, my dad's a Palestinian Christian and my mom is a Jordanian. 
So did you find this a detriment or an asset in your in your years in, in college? And well, I mean, this is yeah, this is one of the things I talk about in, in the book. The Arabs were Arabs were left out of the um, they uh, were. They, of oh, I had a very good for Arab Christian friend for years. We were colleagues in in, in, yeah. in business. Yeah. So people been, don't I've, know that there are Arab Christians. They think yes, all Arabs are Muslims. Yeah, I, I've had yeah, I've had people would say that to me when I was growing up too. Um, yeah, the um, yeah. Why, so Arab, why aren't you? Why, why aren't you Muslim? <laughs> something like that. They, they would be very confused by the concept. So the federal government has a definition. White is everything east of uh, Afghanistan, Afghan Pakistan border. All those are Asians, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, all the Arabs and all the North Africans and the Israelis and the Europeans, of course, um, are all are all white. So Wait, yeah, all the is, Arabs are white. All the Arabs are white as far as Arabs don't qualify government. for affirmative action. No, nothing. no more. No, no never. never. You're too smart. Well, the, well, here's the thing. The the Obama administration wanted to add the Arab question to the census because they wanted to create a new identity group. The Trump administration uh, put the squ- uh, you know uh, cut that off, so they didn't do it for 2020 because the Trump administration smartened up and said, "Oh my God, this is going to be a new justification for a new uh, identity group." The Biden administration for the next census is now thinking about bringing it back. So, like, we're in this place where like Democrats want to create more races and Republicans want to not do that and not expand sort of the affirmative actions state. Um, but that's something people should look out for. If it appears on the census, we're in trouble because then you're going to start getting, you know, special privileges for whatever group. You appears. know, this is an interesting question. I remember in the heyday of affirmative action, I had friends who would not, I wouldn't fill out questionnaires about race or identity politics in an application. I forget where it was. And I talked to people, some of them refused to. It said, although it is not required, we would ask you to fill out this form. Yeah. Are they now required to be checked, the boxes? I think it's always voluntary, but I I think they, you know, I think if you don't check it, they probably just assume the worst, right? It probably doesn't help. <laughs> the worst is that you're, you're not a, a qualified yeah, a white minority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that, you know, that's probably how they think about it. So it probably doesn't help you uh, to not, you know, to not check the box. Um, you know, people can, <laughs> you know, people can, people can lie all the time. I mean, why can't a person lie? check a box which gives them an advantage? How would anyone even know there is that? Well, that's that's Elizabeth. That's what Elizabeth Warren is smarter than us. That's what she figured out. I mean, she went through her whole career, became a famous, became famous, became a senator. And only then anyone found out that it was completely made up. So, yeah, I'm sure people are lying all the time. Um, There's nothing stopping it. Like maybe, you know, we're getting a more dishonest elite because they're all checking boxes that they're Hispanic or black and they're not. And they're just psychopaths who, you know, want to, you know, do anything to get ahead. When I, I remember in the 1970s, I knew some African-American people through a friend who came from a prominent uh, family. A father was a prominent black surgeon. They used affirmative action anyway, even though they came from a wealthy home and they laughed oh, yeah. about it. They said, we'll use any advantage we can to get what we want. I mean, that's what most people are going to do, Richard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why they don't do, you know, there's sometimes talk of why don't we do um, class-based affirmative action, give it to people who are poor. Yeah. And they figure out that it'll go, go to the kids in Chinatown because they're the, you know, they're the smartest poor people. They're the poor people who work the hardest. Um, so they have to, you know, to get the diversity, they have to give it to the rich kids because that's the only way they're going to get, you know, they're going to get the numbers that they want. It's a sad state of affairs that a nation where it's supposed to be the land of free freedom and equality has degenerated to this level, which is why I was attracted to your book, The Origins of Woke Civil Rights Law, Corporate America and the Triumph of Identity Politics. Richard, how is the book doing? It's just out or has it been out a while? 
Uh, so we're recording this on the, uh, you know, um, it's going to be out the 19th of September. So it's going to be out in a, a few days. So Oh, I got yeah. you a few days before publication. Well, uh-huh. we'll publish it probably next week around the time. Yeah, of, that'd be great. But it, but it is it is doing it is doing well. I mean, it's uh, from what I hear, it's, you know, doing very well from the publisher. And uh, yeah, I got you know, doing uh, a lot of media. So, yeah, hopefully. Have hopefully you been invited on Fox News? Will they touch the book? Um, it's the, there are talks with at least one show. Um, and so uh, one show is interested and, you know, we'll see what happens. So which TV shows have said yes? It's very hard right now to get a book yeah. like this on any television show. They're yeah. afraid of their sponsors. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I mean, I, I don't know if I should like say. It. No, it's no, let's not. Let's not media. say it. OK, but, but it's yeah, one 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 prominent Fox show. And then, yeah, you know, several podcasts I've got uh, scheduled in the next week. Well, I wish you the best with the book. That's why I had you on. It's a really important topic and strikes very close to home for me, because as I said earlier, without quality, there cannot be equality. And let's pray that we don't reach the day where they force us to fly in a a commercial jet with a blind pilot. (laughs) We we can all hope. Thank you, Dr. Savage. Thanks, Richard. A real pleasure. Good luck with your book. Thank you. Bye now. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.